Last Lips crew, this strike. Am I right? I'm sure some of our international folks are still working, which is amazing. But I know here in the US of A, it has all come to a grinding fucking halt. All I know is I'm highly disappointed in the AMPTP folks and wish for them to quit with the corporate greed and decide to be decent, art-loving human beings. So I guess we'll see how this plays out. I hope everyone is doing well under these difficult circumstances. Just do me a favor and check in on your work buddies. Make sure they're okay, yeah? And in other news, if you are a barber, you know a barber, or are interested in anything to do with a barber's journey into the TV and film world, well, I have the perfect guest for you today. I know him as D the Barber. His name is T. DeMar Ward. He is a born and raised LA barber and now works behind the scenes. D is also the barber that will be taking our Last Looks workshop, Don't Fear the Fade. So be sure to keep a lookout for when we release more information and dates for that. Dee will help you understand your tools, guide you to make decisions confidently when approaching a fade. Well, heck, even knowing truly what a fade is, <laughs> Dee will give you a step-by-step guide to help you feel and look more experienced when it comes to those famously feared fades. Disclaimer though, y'all know how much I am a massive advocate for repetition. Practice, practice, practice. Now Dee can only give you so much. You have to leave the workshop with all the gems Dee has passed on to you and make it your mission to put it into practice. Anyway, I'm so excited that we can offer this to you, our Last Looks crew. To stay up to date with our latest news, there's a link in the show notes below to sign up for our newsletter. Anywho, My name is Jamie Lee, a hairstylist from Aotearoa, New Zealand, living in LA. And this is the Last Looks podcast, a show where I catch up with makeup artists and hairstylists in the film and television industries around the world. And today I'm speaking with Dee the Barber. On with the show. And now, a word from our sponsor. Psst, come in closer. Would you like to hear what Hollywood's best-kept secret is? Want to know what many A-listers are using? Do you want your skin transformed to be red carpet ready? Abovo Skincare's enriched eye and delicate day creams will nourish, moisturize, soften, and heal your tired skin. The meaning of the name Abovo is the origin, the beginning, the start. Take your skin back to the beginning. With these natural, eco-friendly, luscious products. Great for all skin types, under makeup, and also for midday touch-ups. A little goes a long way to luminous skin. And we haven't forgotten our FX friends. Abovo Skin Care is incredibly soothing and healing after removing those prosthetics. Skin will be in great shape for your next day's application. Try this magical mix of essential oils and ethically sourced emu oil, and your skin will say thank you. Available at aboboskincare.com. That's A-B-O-V-O skincare.com. Or pop into LA's industry-focused beauty supply stores, and you too can enjoy Abovo Skincare's star treatment. And now, our feature presentation. Picture up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. 
Welcome to the Last Looks Podcast, Dee. Thank you for having me. Of course. Okay, so this is where our story begins. I want you to finish the sentence for me, okay? Okay. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Dee, and when he grew up, he wanted to be... He wanted to be a psychologist. A psychologist. How does a little boy named D know what a psychologist is. That's fascinating. Well, I think initially I wanted to be a psychiatrist and then from psychiatry, I kind of, as I grew older and learned more about it, I kind of moved into thinking I wanted to do more of the social side of it, not necessarily medicine. And yeah. I think it started off thinking a psychiatrist just because I knew what they were yeah. and I knew it was in the area that I wanted to work in. But once I got a little older, I was like, nah, I think psychiatrist might be a little too much <laughs> schooling for me. So you wanted to, what was drawing that to you? Just wanting to help people? I think that's what it was. I mean, early from some family members that I saw when I was a kid and, mm. and learning about mental issues and just being curious about it and wondering, you know, what goes on in a person's head up there being a little kid. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So at what point do you, I mean, and this is also fascinating that you, you know, pretty much probably are in that line of work when you have somebody in your chair. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that, you know, I feel like I... I may not have gone to school for it or I'm not in an office environment, but I feel like definitely what we do, the the amount of talking we do and sharing life stories and situations with people, we're definitely in some vein. We're giving therapy, definitely. Yeah. So when does that shift happen and how do you kind of find yourself leaning towards being a barber? I was actually in school at the time, go to get my license and, you know, further my education for schooling but at the time my roommate was a barber mm -hmm. and I mean I used to cut hair I've, I've cut hair all the way back in high school I mean we used to cut each other's hair after school after you know Friday nights before after games before we go out we just give each other cuts to save money so we'd have some money to go out yeah I never thought it would be a career I never even, even back then I never even envisioned that this was something that I would do or I would even say I didn't even have a big experience growing up in barbershops myself. Right. Because like I said, we used to cut each other. Mm. And when I was really, really young, I don't even think that was like part of the culture really when I was little like that. I think we were wearing braids and, you know, longer hair. So the way people were in a barbershop now, like every seven to 10 days, it, you know, it wasn't like that for me as a kid. Yeah. But my roommate was barbering. Okay. Actually him and his brother in the same shop. Mm. And I used to hang out there a lot because my roommate was there and me and his brother had actually became more close than me and my roommate were. Yeah. So me and his brother were good friends. So by both of them being barbers, you know, I would come by the shop, hang out, just kind of, you know, swing through and say what's up. And, it, you know, barbershop was kind of that social place, too. Sometimes guys would swing through, weren't even getting haircuts. Yeah. Or just come by and just kind of shoot the shit, so to speak. Yeah. And see what's what but I don't know it was kind of like a little running joke in there for a while like well you might as well work here you're in here so much <laughs> and I would joke around with the the barbers in there you know they were all my boys after a while and I would joke around like yeah I could probably cut circles around a few of you guys like you're, you're <laughs> slow or or you, you don't want me in here because you guys wouldn't eat if I was in here and I would kind of joke with them about it a lot yeah. so being in school I, I was actually working two part-time jobs mm. And the crazy thing, like, like my roommate, as good of a dude as he is, yeah. he wasn't the most structured or like he didn't really work on a routine. He, he was 
definitely an artist. Yeah. I mean, he was a musician at the time anyway. So like, I think barbering for him was more of a way of paying the rent, paying bills. Yeah. And it allowed him the freedom to kind of do his music. Mm. So his heart wasn't really in it, I don't think, at the time. And eventually the owner of the shop gave me an opportunity to start cutting there. Mm. And like I said, I was working two part-time jobs and my roommate, I would see him go to work at 12, 12 o'clock at noon and be back home by like seven or eight in the evening. Mm. And he's coming home with like 150 bucks in his pocket every day, yeah. 200 bucks. Yeah. And I was like, man, like... I could just get like 50 bucks a day yeah, and let go of one of these part-time jobs, stay in school, that little extra money, you know, it, and that's kind of how it started for me, honestly. Like I just, I just wanted a way to make some gas money. Mm. I wanted a way to make some, some movie money and not really have to worry about my paycheck money. And I didn't see it being long-term even in that situation. I was just trying to get some money and I had really no intentions of investing like I'm making $50 a day every day with no problems. And now I'm like, okay, well, let's just crank it up to a hundred. I can just do a hundred a day. Mm. And I remember going to talk to my mom, like, cause she was really against it. Right. Thinking back in hindsight, like my mom was really, really big on education. Yeah. And for her, I think it, it even fit in her vision of what she saw me doing. You know, you're going to school, you're going to be a doctor. That's fine. Stay on your path. But something about cutting hair shook everything up. And I remember telling her, I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to take a semester off and really focus on the shop. I, you know, I got to get my clientele up. You know, if I'm trying to explain to her, like people got to see you, you got to know you're in here. They come in there and, you know, you're not in there as much, then they don't feel comfortable with you. So I got to, you know, really establish myself. She was like, listen, she was like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, she was like, I don't, I don't understand that. Like, and again, my mom, she has a master's degree. She went back to school raising us. Mm and working a job, mm. full-time job, and got her. So to her, it just didn't make any sense. And that's funny, I think back on, I remember she was so, like, give me the air quotes. Like, you can't cut hair <laughs> and go to school. Like, really just, like, really, like, down in it. Like, cut hair, really? Yeah. Cut hair? Like, yeah. I raised you guys and went to school, worked a full-time job, and I got mine. Yeah. And you're telling me you're going to quit school to cut hair. And she just kept saying it, like, cut hair <laughs> so yeah i uh <laughs> that's right needless to say yeah needless to say i eventually stopped going to school and i, I didn't think the flip would be as fast as it was mm. i just thought you know i'm gonna take a semester off i'm gonna get my clientele up you know i can see myself making some money here you know i mean i probably went from 50 dollars a day to close to 150 dollars to 200 bucks a day to where it was just like drug dealing money for some reason. Like I had cash in my hand every day. Yeah. School didn't seem that important in the moment. And being young as I was, I think, I don't know. I got a little delusional, but I mean, it worked out, but. And not delusional. It's just when you go from not really having much cash coming in to being able to earn like that, you're probably like, this is pretty sweet. Like I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Getting to hang out with guys that I That's like exactly hanging right. out with and I got money coming in. This is, yeah. this is great. And then I think, I think another thing that kind of forced me to kind of stay on that path was okay I started at 50 a day mm. now my income's gone up but now my lifestyle's going up mm. now I'm spending more now I'm, I've gotten a new car <laughs> I've gotten more expenses my my incoming money isn't matching anymore because I've 
I've ramped it up a little bit. So now I got to, I really have to go to a $50, a hundred from 50 to a hundred yeah. and from a hundred to 150 to just to kind of keep up. Mm. And it kind of became like a rat race. Like the, I would realize like, okay, I got to smash now. I got my clientele up. I got to be in the shop earlier. I got to stay later. I got to, whatever it was I would needed to do to get more money, more, more heads in the chair I will do. Yeah. But then I didn't have the discipline, I think, back then to manage my money as well. So I, that was my cycle for a while. But I enjoy what I do. I feel blessed in that area. I don't wake up and I'm like, oh, I got to go to work. Or, oh, man, I got to, you know. Yeah. And no two days are the same. So I feel like that's a great thing why I love it so much. Because I don't know. I don't know if I have the personality type to sit in an office or the monotony of going to a office and sit at a desk every day, day in and day out. That would drive me crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's a good thing you worked that out earlier rather than later. How how does, uh, did your mom kind of settle into the idea of it all or does she still think it's crazy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it took her a while. That had to grow on her. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I think she's good now. She's actually, she's real good now. Yeah. But, you know, she's always asking, what are you working on? Or, yeah. You know, wants to hear about the stuff, you know, because I, I get excited. I still, you know, I'm like a big kid when I talk about work. Yeah. So. I mean, they just but. want you, parents just want you to be okay. It's just like, as long as you can look after yourself and you're happy, it's just like, great. Yeah. I gave my mom a few scares when I was younger, too. Oh, you sure. know, I was, I was a little, I was able to a bad kid, but I was, you know, I wanted to try things my way and. Wanted to hang out with my friends, and I thought I knew more than what I did. Oh, I think we all do I that at some point. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> gotta test those boundaries and see what's what. Right, yeah, I was definitely a a, a boundary tester. <laughs> That's awesome. So, like, where did you grow up? Where were you doing all this? I grew up in Los Angeles. You did West Side, yeah, yep. West LA. <laughs> nice. I did think that, but I wasn't sure. I thought I'd best ask. Hey, I went to Fairfax High School here in Hollywood up on Melrose. Nice. So when does this shift into TV and film world kind of come about? How long ago did that kind of kick in? Well, let's see. I think my very first job going to a soundstage, mm. going into a hair and makeup room, like seeing behind the curtain like that was in 2004, 2003. Okay, so it was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a TV show. There was a, a rapper. Her name was Eve. Mm -hmm. And she had a show back in the day, yeah. a sitcom. And that was the first show I ever worked on. OK. How does that come about? You know, I was thinking about this last night. And it's funny how like the connecting dots or the people in our timeline kind of connect our experiences and our history. And I feel like mm. my situation moving into film and television, again, I didn't even think hair overall would have been my future. Yeah. So I really didn't give any thought that working in television and like, I don't know, I didn't even think that as a barber, that was something you could do. Right. You know, I thought they were like, you know, you would think the names like a Vidal Sassoon type of person, like those were the people working in those yeah. kind of environments, not the people I knew working at barbershops. But the situation for me that, that initially began my path on it, it was my best friend I was telling you about who was the brother of my roommate. Yeah. Now, we're going to fast forward a few years after I go into the shop, working with them, where the shop where they were at. There was a, a salon up the street from where we were cutting at. The owner of that salon used to come into our barber shop to get his hair cut. So he would come to us all the time and he would constantly sit with my roommate's brother. So he was looking 
to get out of this business. Mm. He had started having some success with real estate. So he used to tell my buddy all the time, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm always in here. I'm going to listen to you and you and your guys talk like I'm going to close my place down. Maybe you should talk to your boys and you could come take over my place and turn it into a barbershop. And at first, nobody wanted to invest. Nobody wanted to put any financial investment into it. Like they seemed supportive, but no one wanted to do anything until it was basically like, well, if you guys get in there, set everything up and it's comfortable for us to shift over there, then we'll make the move. Like no one wanted to do the work of sharing with their clients that they were going to move or the financial investment or the. Yeah, I mean, it's a big step to take. So. But the flip side was. Everyone was miserable at the place we were at. Right. No one was happy there. So we were really looking for something to branch out and start our own and, and you know, build a brand for ourselves. So eventually we did. We ended up moving into his place. He started subleasing through the guy. Mm. So that's the fast forward part. So now we're in the shop. We have our place set up. It's me, my roommate, his brother. One of the other barbers mm. came out there with us. The lead of the whole situation was me and my roommate's brother mm. establishing everything. Now we fast forward again, maybe two, three years later now, because now I have my daughter. My daughter was maybe six months old. What it was, was we had an agreement that because he was the one who had the contact for the building. Yeah. He arranged the sublease with the uh, owner of the place, mm. worked everything out on that note. Mm. Coming from a, a barbershop or in a, in a salon environment, mm. you got maybe two ways to go. You're going to do booth rent, you're going to do commission, or you're going to be on you know, some type of salary maybe. Yeah. We came from a background where we were doing booth rent. Yeah. Most of the guys coming in, no one wanted to do commission. No one wanted to be on a salary where they got paid to just come and cut. Everyone wanted to you know, have that, that feeling of being their own boss and their own entity yeah. inside the shop. Yeah. So... When you started trying to put in certain parameters to make the shop run more like a business and, and break away from the background where we came from, where everything was just disorganized, mm. people kind of did what they wanted in there and it was just conflict all the time. We tried to establish like real guidelines and, and rules and mandates so that, you know, dress codes and things that they just weren't used to seeing where we came from. The four of us would always do booth rent. And as we established our brand and we opened up and we expanded mm -hmm. and we brought more barbers in, everyone coming in after us would be commissioned. Right. Because we would have laid the foundation. And that was kind of our way of getting back from our investment as far as having faith to step out and help get it off the ground. Yeah. We fast forward a couple of years now. One of the other barbers, like I said, it was four of mm -hmm. us. The third barber, he's gone. He's no longer a part of the equation. And so now it's just three of us. It's been a few years already. So we've gotten probably four other barbers in our shop now mm. outside of the, our initial four. Yeah. Okay. It's a Monday night. Mm. We have a meeting mm. and my partner comes in and, you know, he starts laying out the changeover. We're going, everybody, you've got like, I don't know what we say, maybe a month, two weeks, no longer. It's going to be booth rent. This is going to be commission. And blah, blah, blah. so, of course, we're expecting people to gripe and a little pushback. And, you know, maybe even someone might be like, no, I'm leaving. Yeah. You know, maybe a few people might even jump ship. Mm. 
So we, uh, we sit here and he's doing most of the talking. So I'm sitting in this meeting and after the meeting, because everybody had like a little manila folder with, you know, kind of outlining what was what in the timeline. Oh. But the thing was that I was never supposed to go into that. I was supposed to always be on booth rent. Right. And my booth rent is, you know, it maxed out at a certain point. He asked me, you know, he, he kind of came over and was like, you didn't sign the paper. And I'm like, wait, what do you mean sign the paper? He's like, yeah, you didn't sign that. And I'm like, like, I, mean, I kind of look at him and I like, puzzle thinking he's joking with me for a second because something like, OK, like it's just me and you here now. Like every our meetings over. And a lot of times, like we would discuss things privately oh. that we didn't discuss with everyone else just between me and him. And he's really sitting here like you, you need to sign. Like, are you are you going to sign it or you didn't sign it or how I forgot exactly how he worded it. And in that moment, I realized, like, OK, he's serious, like. He, he expects me to go to commission now. Like I'm mm. um, all these new guys that are here in the last year or two. Yeah. And just because everyone else is gone, everyone else is gone. It's just me and you now, mm. your brother, our other friend, they're not a part, even a part of the equation now. So and it boiled down to his name was on the lease. I felt principle wise. It was either leave out of there mm. Or it was going to be something and, you know, and go down a whole totally different road that being a young father and, you know, and, and trying to establish myself and, and move out of, in a new direction in my life. Like, I was like, this this is not going to fare well for me. And I told him I was not signing it and that I would be out of there by the end of the week. And this was Monday night. Yeah. I had no idea where I was going, what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was just so pissed yeah. and felt like I had no move. Like, I really I felt played and, and taken advantage of like I, I had no options yeah. but I, it was just a principal thing for me yeah so Tuesday night I'm at a house call and this is and it's just crazy how the universe works because mm. I had these two kids that I would cut and their mother she's she's the wife of a head of state a, a foreign head of state mm-hmm. her husband is a as a president of an African country mm. but her and the kids stay here mm-hmm. full time so I had been going over there for years cutting her kids mm. So I'm over there, it's Tuesday night, and I just wasn't my normal self. And I had, you know, I had all that on my mind. And she just kept asking me, like, what's going on? You seem like something's up. And so I eventually just started telling her, like, yeah, you know, me and my, my partner, we're going through it. And, you know, I kind of broke it down real quick and told her, like, like I got I'm going to have to leave the shop or, you know, me and him will be fighting up in there. Like, mm. he, I mean, I really could feel how sincere she was because she was like, you know what? If we have to, we're going to get you a shop. I don't care we're, if we have to find you a building, you start looking, we're going to find you a place. And we, you know, and I was like, whoa, like I was caught off guard, but I like, <laughs> and I, and I, I mean, I knew she had the resources to do it, yeah. but it I wasn't trying to even explain my situation, looking for a handout or looking for help like no. that. I just needed to vent because I hadn't said it to anybody. I hadn't even really discussed yeah. it. She was, like I said, so she was real supportive. So she told me she had a person who did her here. She's from California. Yeah. So she had someone she when she grew up, she knew doing she used to do her hair. Oh. She told me his shop was really close to where my shop was. Mm-hmm. So she told me, look, I'm gonna call him mm-hmm. and all I have to do is ask him and he'll make a place for you. And again, like I said, I I had never met this man, had never been there, and I didn't want to be disappointed or get my hopes up too high, like this is where I would go, but literally that. Wednesday afternoon, I spoke with her. She said, I just talked to him. Mm. This is his address. I want you to go see Mm. him and talk with him. So I was going to go around there just to kind of introduce myself. 
And I, you know, I had my fingers crossed hoping that it worked out because his shop was literally walking distance. Like my shop was on Wilshire, mm. one block west of La Brea. His shop was on La Brea, one block south of Wilshire, right. literally around the corner. Yeah. So I went over there and I'm trying to, you know, and I introduced myself and I'm trying to explain my situation. And, you know, I wanted to give him a little backstory because I didn't want him to think like, okay, why is this guy leaving? What are you coming here for? Is he, you know, is it some drama? Yeah. So I'm really trying to explain to him what my situation was, why I was leaving. And he just kept cutting me off. Like, listen, you came really highly recommended from somebody who I trust and have known forever mm-hmm. and is willing to vouch for you the way she was. Yeah. I don't need to know anything about where you're going. Yeah. Right here. <laughs> you know, and he already had a key made for me. Oh, wow. <laughs> he gave me a key that day on a, that Wednesday. I had this situation Monday night, talked with her Tuesday night, Wednesday afternoon that he gave me a key to his shop. Wow. So literally by that Friday, I was gone. I had packed up, moved all my stuff, yeah. and I was in his salon. And it's around and the it corner, so all your clientele are obviously... Perfect situation. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have asked for it to play out any better than that. And it was through the universe letting me land there, meeting him and becoming friends with him. Mm-hmm. And he became a mentor of mine as well. He was, you know, was a lot older than me. He was probably 75 in his 70s, late, mid to late 70s when I met wow. him. And, you know, he became a, a good friend. I, you know, we talked a lot about all kinds of things, mm. but in his shop, who would become my very first friend and mentor in the 706 working in his shop. Right. And that was my first introduction to even learning, knowing what the 706 was, hearing it by name. And yeah, he was my first peek behind the curtain, so to speak. His name was Sean Smith. And uh, he worked there and, and the salon thing was Ashby's Coiffure. I landed there and I ended up being there for a good two and a half years, regrouping and getting myself together before I eventually opened up my shop. But that was meeting Sean was how it was. Sean was who introduced me a makeup artist. Her name is Rianne mm-hmm. and Rianne and Sean and actually Paula as well. Paula Ashby. Man, that's a crazy small world. I'm saying all this out loud <laughs> because Paula Ashby, she's also a member of the 706. Yeah hairstylist. She was working on the Eve show with Sean and Rianne. And well, Rianne's a makeup artist, mm. but they were all on the Eve show. Like outside of Eve, the main three characters were men yeah, and they needed someone to cut the guys. So Sean mentioned me to them. They brought me up. I met the fellas, everything clicked. Then I was off and running. I started cutting the three guys on that show. And, and I think it was a good experience for me as well, because each show had a lot of cameos as well. So I, I met a lot of talent that would come through there appearing on the show. And I just started cutting a lot of people. They would come to the shop or I would go to them just from that experience. Or I would meet other hair people, other makeup artists, and I feel like that was like the springboard for me. Like, I feel like if I'd have never went to Ashby's, mm. I would have never met Sean. Had I never met Sean, I would have never met Rianne and Paula. And from them, I met Dean. And from Dean, I met, like, I feel like it's just, it's a springboard. Every experience kind of led me into the next. Absolutely. And yeah. so, yeah, Eve, I'm guessing, was it a non-union show or was it a union show, but you were cutting and not going on set or like, how was it working for you? Well, you know, it's funny because at the time I had no idea about unions or yeah. any of that stuff. <laughs> and two of the guys, it was almost like I was there personal because there wasn't a trailer. We were actually, it's 
they were cutting up at what is the Sunset Gower stages now. I forgot what they used to call it back yeah. then. Yeah. It's Sunset Gower now. But there weren't trailers. You know, there was a little small hair and makeup room. Mm. And each of the guys had their own room. They had their own green room or, tr- or dressing room or whatnot. Yeah. So I literally just went to each of their room. I, I didn't have a station in the hair room. I would show up, come up there, give these guys cuts, go room to room, setting up. I mean, these, you know, we'd get there playing video games <laughs> in their rooms. And, yeah. So it's a pretty it sweet a gig. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, good time. That's awesome. So, I mean, obviously through that and meeting different hair stylists and makeup people in 706, you're kind of maybe at some point thinking, what is this 706 and do I need to be a part of it? Yeah. Dean, I met Dean Banowitz. You've had him on, on the podcast mm-hmm. before. Dean was also a really big supporter of mine in the early days. You know, I, I was a cut Dean for a long time as well. I would go to his house, cut him. He'd come here. i cut him here. And he would have, you know, because of the, lot, the type of shows he was working on, there were so many contestants and so many guys needing barber cuts. Mm-hmm. Sometimes because they were at hotels, I would just go to the hotels and, and groom them offset. So that when they went to set, you know, they weren't there every day. It wasn't, you know, they were a lot of those uh, competition type shows. So they're not there every day. Dancing with the Star. Yeah. X Factor. Like, yeah. yeah. So I really got a lot of experience working with Dean as well. Got a chance to peek behind the curtain again and see how things. And he was Dean was really one of the very first people he used to tell me all the time, like, you need to go back to school and get your cosmetology license. He was probably the first person that made me understand that I didn't have the same value, only barbering, because someone would bring me in. They'll set me up in a room or I go to someone's personal room or they send someone to me. Yeah, they get cut. And then that's it. Or even if they brought me in, like after a haircut, I was sent home. I would do a lot of eight and skates because I didn't have any extra value. You know, they didn't see any need to put me on the staff because they didn't want to waste a spot. Yeah. He's like, D, there's a whole world over here that you can get access to. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what it is, though? I think I was coming off of that failed business situation. Mm. I, I felt like I had to do the shop. I had to do a shop. I had to open my own. I had to. Prove to myself, yeah. prove to my family, prove to them that they weren't going to stop it. So even though I had kind of had a peek behind the curtain and I was understanding that there were other options and other lanes, mm. I was like a dog with a bone. I, I, just, I couldn't let go of not trying a shop. Yeah. Like even when we met, you know, I was doing a lot of commercials at the time. A lot of the guys I were cutting, they were athletes or mm. rappers or basketball players, like just entertainers in that lane where they might get booked on a commercial or a spot and I would go with them yeah. or they would call me before and come get cut for it. And I started getting into where I wasn't doing television or movies, but a lot of commercials. And that's where I, I think I started really collecting my days and hours yeah. in that lane. Yeah. I will, I will just say that as a hairstylist and I met D, it was like two days, I think that commercial that we were in this teeny tiny little room together having (laughs) people come in and out. And it was so awesome to see a barber who 
you were just so up for anything with hair. You were just like, Dominique would come in and be like, okay, you've got to glue this hair on here and make this shape and glue this and glue that and cut that. And you were like, cool, let's do it. Yeah, I want to I want to learn all of that. Yeah, there was just no fear or no, you just weren't like, I don't know, I only cut hair, I'm not gluing all that stuff. You were just like, show me, I'll do it, let's get it done, whatever it takes. And just that attitude and you have such a a calm presence in the middle of like mayhem it was such a joy to work with you it was awesome I I thoroughly enjoyed it and that's why I think you stuck in my mind and I was just like oh D's got to get his days he's got to he's got to get into the union because I've got got to work with this dude more (laughs) yeah that's what Dean would he was like man if you don't get your ass in school and I was like you know what I was like and the thing was I felt like I was literally introducing myself as D the barber yeah like I'd meet someone hey I'm D the barber yeah so my whole aura, my moniker, everything, my essence was barbering. So I I didn't see doing hair even as something I wanted to do. Yeah. I just thought like, yeah, I'm a a barber. Like, why would I go back to school to get a cosmetology license that I'll never use? I mean, yes, it does help me. And that was, I think that was the biggest thing for me was I enjoyed the fact that I could step away go do a commercial for a day or two and come back to the shop and people be like, Oh, yo, you know, D cut so-and-so or my barber did that commercial or, you know, but that helped totally. make people want to sit in my chair more. Yeah. So it, it did boost me up in the shop a little mm-hmm. bit, but it wasn't enough to where I wanted to walk away from the shop yeah. and pursue going back to school and trying to get into that lane. Yeah. Cause I really, felt like part of my calling was to establish a school, like a barber school, because I wanted to establish what worked, what didn't work Mm. and take that template, go to a new city Mm. and start another shop there. Cause like, I mean, like the whole namesake behind the whole, my, cause the shop was called Majestic Barbershop. And I thought initially, I wasn't even sure where I thought maybe Atlanta or Chicago would probably be the next majestic. Like I was trying to work out all the kinks, mm. figure, you know, basically just do a, a McDonald's style kind of outline for how the shop should go. You write down to the cutting system. Yeah. Every I wanted you to come in LA and you come into Majestic and you could go to Chicago Majestic mm-hmm. or Atlanta Majestic. And it um, maybe the aesthetics may be different, but you would get the same treatment, the same type of service. And it would just, you know, roll like that. But yeah, I, I just couldn't. At the time, I didn't see it. Yeah. I wish I would have. But I feel like I wasted so much time. I don't think so. I, I don't think it's ever a waste. You were still working towards something and getting more experience and growing in other ways. But for anyone who doesn't work in the States to understand that to be a barber you don't need a cosmetology license and a cosmetology license is more for hair salon you know like coloring perming women's hairstyling i suppose and then to be a member of the 706 union you need to have a cosmetology license so that's what when dean was saying to d yeah yeah. aside from trying to get the days yeah that was probably one of the biggest parts of me like yeah I don't, I don't like that, you know, and cause even back then I remember thinking, I used to always tell people like, you know, the only thing about joining that union is I'll get to see my name on the credit. I don't <laughs> care about that. And I used to, that was like my way of kind of deflecting. I think like that I didn't care. Yeah. Like, yeah, only 
to see my name on a credit. Said, Who cares about that? Yeah. People know I did it. Or, and then yeah, I didn't want to do the dues. I, it was a lot of different things that kind of, yeah. I thought, kind of helped me off. And it's I think also if you don't know what you don't know, you at that point hadn't worked full-time on a TV show or film in that capacity of being a union member. So you weren't aware of what is possible, I suppose. Yeah. And I mean, cosmetology yeah. licensing is daunting. I mean, even when I moved here, I had to sit it and I, you know, I, I'm a qualified hairstylist. I know what I'm doing, but still the thought of having to like be retested on stuff in a different country. I was just like, ah, I don't want to do this. Why do I have to do this? I don't want to. <laughs> but, you know, I just <laughs> sucked oh, it up okay. and, and did it and it was very easy and fine. But there's still that thought at the beginning of like, ah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I think barbers who think or are thinking that they want to do this or that this could be something that they would want to pursue, mm-hmm. they probably really should, for one, be prepared and understand about the whole cosmetology license part of it. Yeah. But I don't know, I feel like the difference between being in a salon or a barbershop yeah. to working in a trailer mm-hmm. is like, it, it takes some adjustment. Yeah. Like, and then it, Everyone doesn't have the personality or the discipline Mm -hmm. to be in a trailer, I believe. Yeah. Because I feel like I've been on jobs where I've had an opportunity to bring on a commercial. I've had an opportunity to bring people in. Mm. And during the mornings, getting everyone established, getting everybody through the works, they're fine in that mode. Like it, it's just a little anxiety. I think that goes with it. Cause you don't know what you don't know. Like you said, yeah. like you don't know what's next or what's to come and you're a little on edge. Cause everything is new. And like yeah. it's your, your senses are just heightened. That you're yeah. Figuring it out. Yeah. But I think for most barbers, the fact that you spend the little bit of time that you do with a client and move on to the next, I mean, we come from a place where efficiency and speed is definitely a part of what you need to have if you're going to be successful. Mm. But I don't think the downtime that goes with set mm. works well for a lot of barbers yeah. in like their busy bodies. Like even when they're not in, in between a cut, you know, they, they want to be able to go outside and do what they want to do or or leave when they want to in between mm. or, you know, to just sit still or, or, or you know, or just so many other things that go with doing hair for production. Yeah. They would see me leave the shop mm. and I come back and I would talk about it. I'll talk about how much fun or they could hear my excitement. But then when they get there, I, I remember once the guy was like, man, this is what you be doing? <laughs> like... <laughs> He was just like, man. He's like, the grass is not greener on the other side. Yeah, he was like, man, y'all just be sitting around like this? Like, oh, man. Like, I was like, yeah, I told you, man. Like, it's not always cutting air. And then sometimes, you know, if you're on a show, maybe not a commercial. I mean, I've had days where I didn't even take my clippers out of my drawer for a few days. Yeah. And it's just about, you know, styling and just maintaining it. And, and for me, that's the fun part. Like, I enjoy that I don't even have to cut some days. Yeah. That it's about keeping up the continuity and creating these characters and getting into that world. Like, I enjoy that part of it for the backside of not only doing the hair part. Yeah. And I think if a barber is coming from that world, they have to be able to enjoy all of it. You have to be able to enjoy continuity and you have to be able to enjoy travel and there's so many things that's just not about cutting hair like even I feel like even in a salon Mm -hmm. like to be a successful barber or a successful cosmetologist hairdresser Mm -hmm. it's not always just about how well you can style a hair it's about the feeling that a person gets when they sit with you or the conversation sometimes or just the energy yeah and sometimes being able to manage 
the energy mm. in a trailer is important. I mean, you spend 10, 12 hours a day with someone in a, in a box, like yeah. that energy is important being around somebody. So sometimes having a, somebody in there that's just like, oh, I don't want to be here. When can we leave? Or how soon is this? <laughs> like that kind of unhappy to be there energy is like, ugh. Yeah. I almost yeah, wonder I, sometimes if it's that thing of once again of not knowing what you don't know. Like your coworker that came in to try it out doesn't at that point didn't really understand all of the things of what you need to be paying attention to all day. So mm. the continuity yeah. and the script breakdown and the this and the that, like not understanding that and thinking that everyone's just sitting around maybe possibly doing yeah. nothing. I mean, commercials, yeah, you don't really need to worry about a lot of that stuff. So there might be a little more downtime depending on what the job is. But when you're on something full time and you have character, you know, their journeys and their their storyline arcs and all of this type of stuff that you need to be kept in play. If they don't know that that's part of the job, then they're just going to think that you do haircuts and then sit around all day. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a, you know, it's a lot of, lot of stuff that kind of manage in your bag. Yeah. Other than just being able to do a good haircut. Yeah. And then like yourself, and I know that you are more open to learning outside of that barbering box. You have a natural, just inquisitive mind of wanting to be like, I want to know how to do that. Like, how can I be more helpful? How can I know how to, you know, I need to, I want to know how to do all this other stuff. I don't want to just be the barber guy. So is that something that just has kind of come naturally to you? Or is it a conscious decision that you've made to just, be like I need to try and yeah I think it's actually honestly it was a 180 for me because there was a time like I said earlier like where I think part of my identity was he's the barber yeah so I kind of I, I stood on that like I'm not like do women's hair huh, not me <laughs> like that was like, kind of how I stood on yeah it. and now it's the exact opposite I can be in the shop all day long and my wife will be like like I don't understand like you come home You've been doing hair all day. Now now you're sitting there watching videos. You're going to lay in the bed the rest of the night and watch videos of other people doing hair? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's it doesn't feel like work to me. This is I'm, I'm going to pick up something here. I'm going to see something or I might catch something. I, I don't want to miss anything. Yeah. So constantly ingesting it is it doesn't feel like. I don't know. It just feels natural. Yeah. It just feels like it's what I'm supposed to be doing. How am I going to get better? How am I going to learn it? Yeah. If I don't see it, if I'm not constantly around it. Yeah. I had that, that same thought though. Like, I guess because I, I play poker. Mm. I used to watch it on TV. Yeah. And I know like I've had that feeling when I would watch someone play golf. I don't play golf. Yeah. But to me, like to watch someone else watch someone play golf on TV is like really like watching paint drive. Yeah. You're like, why? Like, I don't get it. That? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to watch that? But if you're a golf player and you play golf, yeah. you'll sit there and watch and you're watching all the little nuances that that player is doing and you're picking up on all of it because of the interest that you have in it. And that's how it is for me here. Like I, I can watch it and study and talk about it because I want to get better at it. I want to be able to 
at some point know that I can step in and be like a Swiss army knife with it and do it all. Yeah, that's good. It definitely took me visualizing and kind of seeing where my trajectory was going and and wanting to get there and not feel like a fraud for being there. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like I've had that thought in the past too, a few times, like, like I know what I'm doing, cutting hair. Like I I wouldn't say I'm cocky with it, but I'm really confident that I can cut hair and I know what I'm doing. Now I'm the environment maybe may change or, you know, the situations may be a little different where it's not as comfortable or is is a new, I'm going through the motions in a different environment, so to speak. But I still have that confidence that I can do it whenever I do it. But I think with styling women's hair, I, I got some some ground to make up. Well, it's a lot. Yeah, get that comfort level, I guess. Yeah, it's just repetition and practice and just not being afraid. That's it. I feel like that's what I, when I talk to people all off barbering and trying to learn how to cut hair, it's like, yeah, take that clipper, go up in that, go up in there, you know? Yeah. Got to get up in there, you can't be afraid. Yeah. It was one of the things that I used to say to, because in New Zealand, you do both hair and makeup. So there would be someone like myself who came from a salon background and then went and learned makeup. So I was first a hairdresser and then a makeup artist. But then I was working with makeup artists that had not done formal hair training. They had not worked in a salon. They hadn't done their apprenticeship and all that kind of stuff. So they were, you know, they'd gone to school, learned makeup, but did not have that foundation of hair stuff. And they were working it out as they go and learning on every job and, you know, trying to figure it out. And that was my main thing that I was always saying to my work colleagues was just like without going crazy on it like be aggressive like fucking just get in there like don't be scared of it you are controlling that head of hair like you are in control you got to be able to make that hair do what you want it to do you are the boss (laughs) like you can do it just don't be scared of it yeah Yeah, you just got to get in there you just just do it same approach with fading yeah well if you don't if you don't do it you'll never you'll never get any better (laughs) but was there any like at some point any advice that you were given that has kind of stuck with you throughout your career actually you know one some is a not really a i would say as a real piece of advice but something is it's funny that always kind of plays in my mind Mm. is no matter what pay your booth rent and go to work (laughs) Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good advice. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds silly. Yeah. But I mean, it's funny because I, I remember this conversation. Two people were talking and another person was telling this other barber, because like, this person would always at the drop of a time, like dip out. Like they would have a client for another hour. I'll be back. Or, you know, they, they would show up late. They just weren't taking care of business. Yeah. So always falling behind. So. She was saying, no matter what, if you're having relationship problems, go to work, cut through it. Yeah. You know, you're falling behind on stuff. You're late on your home rent. Pay your booth rent first and then go work. Like no matter what, just go to work, cut through it. Yeah. And it's funny because I mean, she was joking, halfway joking when she said it. But I feel like that's always stuck with me. Like no matter what, no matter what it is. Just go to work. Keep cutting. Yeah. Like, just cut through it. It's not any, like, it's not real advice, but I don't know why that's always stuck. I think it is advice. Even if it was coming through as a joke, I think it's it's good advice. And then another one that we all know, I'm sure we've all heard of, when in doubt, pause, go wash your hands. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. I've never heard it phrased like that, but I'm a big believer in needing to step away. So yeah, it always, yeah. that always took me back to like barber school or cosmetology school, mm. like especially on the exam. Like I remember that stuck to me a lot. Like 
if there's something on the exam and you're not certain about or before you make a move and do something wrong, yeah. just go wash your hands. Like you, you, they won't take any points away. You won't lose points for being clean, for being sanitary. Right. So just if you need to process it in your mind or over double think it real fast, yeah. just go wash your hands and think it through in your mind while you're washing your hands. Yeah. And that always stuck with me too. like prepare for my test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt like when I did my cosmetology license exam, it was all about sanitation and nobody really cared about what I actually did with the mannequins here. <laughs> yeah, boy, that's all it is. They don't give it. They really could care less about how well you're going to give someone a style. It was bizarre. Just don't pass any communicable disease. <laughs> yeah. Sanitize, sanitize, sanitize. It's like, yeah, right. okay, okay. I got it, I got it. So has working in the TV film industry been what you thought it would be? It is. Yeah? You know, I, I don't feel disappointed. I actually feel privileged and blessed mm-hmm. to be able to say that I do it because I think about the challenges that I dealt with running my shop and managing all of the different personalities. Like, it's a lot to be the captain of a ship, so to speak. Yeah. You know, you got to manage all the personalities, not only help them put them in the best position to win and succeed in your place Mm. you gotta you know help them and then on top of that you gotta also be mindful of who they're bringing in like there's there's a lot of energy to manage and actual physical thing like the aesthetics of the place that has to be maintained and you know a lot of it a lot of hat switching yeah so when i had to go from standing behind the chair giving a cut, talking with my client, the, the, my favorite part of the job, yeah. to dealing with some maintenance issue or some salesperson's calling on the phone and now someone needs me on the phone. Or, you know, it was, it was a, a lot of in and out of going from being behind the chair and spending time with the client in the barbershop side of it. Yeah. I don't think you have to manage as much of that in, a, in the trailer. That's good. It sounds like you've worked in some good trailers. Yeah. <laughs> I've been blessed. <laughs> That's good. I'm pleased enough to, hear to know it. now that when I do go somewhere mm-hmm. where it shouldn't be, and that I know, I know the difference. Now. Yeah, no, it's good. What do you enjoy most about it? I feel like being a fan of cinema and, and television film the way I am mm. for as long as I have mm. to get an invitation to participate and contribute. Yeah, I like that. I I like enjoy being a part of it. Like, I think of working in production almost like a circus Mm. how I see it I feel like we're like the big top like we're a community of a bunch of different departments Mm -hmm. that comes together to put together a big show Yeah, you know and everybody has their lane their expertise and if everyone is diligent and puts their best foot forward and and really nails down what they're there for. Like you can put on a good show, put together a good product. You know, I try to bring a hundred percent in what I bring to the table. So be just being able to be a part of that, like I said, being a fan and, and watching movies and wanting to bring something that's authentic and people are going to look at and talk about it. And it, you know, it survives. I want to be involved in stuff like that. Yeah. That's very cool. So, you know, I enjoy that part of it. Yeah. I enjoy creating the characters and talking about why this person's hair would look this way if they were in this scene mm-hmm. or it sh- their hair shouldn't look that way because that wouldn't make sense. You know, it's not organic. You know, I enjoy creating that part or having some influence in that small way. That's awesome. What do you find most challenging? Uh, aside from constantly finding work, that's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Being able to, I don't know, I think coming from a, a background of doing a lot of commercials, yeah. I'm familiar and comfortable with and and take it as part for the course is it's just part of what it is that you pack up 
you go on to the next thing or you come, you do your job and you may leave for the day. Yeah. You know, you may not be back for two or three more days mm-hmm. for the, the next time. They need you to come and give this person a haircut again. Yeah. But getting into trailers and then finding a lane where I can become a part of a team where I can set up, have my environment where I can work every day. Like, that's what I like. And I, I think the hard part for me now mm-hmm. is actually the part of coming in, breaking down, moving on. And I don't know, I feel like a part of my efficiency also goes with having the continuity of my s- station and my setup. Yeah. And I felt in the past where I'll be giving someone a haircut and because I'm reaching for something that isn't where it would normally be. Yeah. In my mind, I think that the person in the chair now feels, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Because I feel like I'm moving in a way that doesn't feel like I'm hesitant. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm like, where's, where's this? What's that? And to me, I feel like when I work, I, I have a flow. I have a, it's part of the comfort level that I like to make the person in the chair feel mm. that I think has kind of elevated me in this business because people, again, I feel like whether it's in the salon or the trailer, like people want to feel like the person standing over them knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're in good hands. They don't have to micromanage them or kind of, you know, give a lot of input mm-hmm. on what it is and that they're in good hands. And I feel like I try to make sure everybody has that feeling, whether, like I said, I'm in, in my studio or I'm at work. Yeah. Everybody I want to feel has that star kind of treatment and that they know that I'm giving them that attention to detail. Yeah. Because you've worked in both spaces. As you're saying, you you do the work that's like daily work and you popping in from here to there and packing up and moving and moving and moving. But you've also been on some shows where you're in a trailer, you've got your station, you've got a home for the run of the show. Right, and that, yeah. that's where that's I got spoiled. Where, yeah, <laughs> that's you, you took a liking to it, it sounds like. Yeah. And yeah. you'd like to continue doing more of that. Yeah, especially when you get around good people too. Yeah. Like when, you know, after spending so much time with someone mm-hmm. and being around them, like when it's time to rap, that's actually. That might be one of the, the negatives. I mean, it's not a bad thing in a in a sense of it's you know detrimental bad, but it's bad in a in a way emotionally bad. Like after you've connected and you spent time, like I feel like there's it always gets weird around that that week yeah. leading up to rap. Yeah. Like everybody knows that like the energy gets weird, the yeah. actors get weird, yeah. everybody knows where whether it's your contemplating what's the next next gig mm-hmm. or you're tapped out and you're ready for some downtime or like i don't know it just it gets weird yeah. I, don't, I, I always i'm beginning to realize as projects come to a close mm. i've noticed that i i get into a, a space of like missing the people because i feel like i have a i don't know i bond with people like yeah i, I, I when I'm around people, like it's it's hard for me to be around for someone and, and fake something. Yeah. So when I get to a place where I can enjoy being there, and and I feel like I've been really really lucky in the last couple of years, where I've had a, such a good run mm. of meeting people that feel like family, like work family. Yeah. You know, and when it's time to move on or go somewhere else, it's like a little <laughs> a little mini depression. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, because yeah. the fact of the matter is, there's no guarantee you will work with these people again. You can hope and put it out there, but I mean, whether it's anyone from like a different department or cast or someone that you've really just enjoyed their company and working with them, there is that 
thing that it's just like this is coming to an end it's i've had so much fun with you guys it's been hard work but uh, so much fun but i may actually never see you again or work with you again like it's kind of crazy it's always bittersweet for me i'm always just like i'm not very good with long jobs i like my jobs to be short and that's just how i function But I get to the end and I'm just like, yay, we're done, you know, because I feel proud of our accomplishment and we've finished it and that's a celebration. But at the same time, I'm just like, it's so sad that I'm not going to be coming into this trailer and seeing all you beautiful people every day. Yeah. Yeah. Because you work on some intense projects, though, so I can understand that. Like, yeah, I don't quite know why that is the case, Dee, but it seems to be... I'm always surprised that my team will keep coming back to work on the insanity that we end up working on. <laughs> I think that's where the reward comes in. Oh, it's like very you've gone yeah. through something and you know, like, okay, we had challenges, we overcame it. Yeah. And I think that was another thing that I was going to mention earlier. When we were talking about if I was going to give another barber some insight or some kind of advice, yeah. or just some perspective. Like, mm. You have to not only be disciplined and be be able to kind of under and, and stay on top of your own thing. You have to be a, a self starter you know, and a problem solver. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you're not going to circle back and get an answer. You just got to make an executive decision and and use logic and and figure something out and just get in there and get it done. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So, D, if I had you set up in the station in the trailer of your dreams, and you had all your tools and product and everything with you if i came in and i took something away from you what would you just freak out about what can you not work without i would i mean not that i have a particular brand Mm. of clipper but if if i came in a trailer my clippers were gone Mm -hmm. oh yeah i'd lose it i could yeah i'm a barber that's my that's my staple (laughs) i feel like that's part of my identity (laughs) my my hair clippers yeah but you could use somebody else's clippers okay a particular but you would still hate that right like there must be a reason why you have the clippers that you have yeah i feel like what barbers is i think the more barbers i've talked to the longer i've been around barbers i i I see and i understand the connection Mm. that barbers kind of create with for themselves the mental connection i think with their their clippers and their tools Because I feel like I do it myself and I've just been in the shop for years. I've heard other barbers reference it in a way where they talk about their tools, almost like either it's their kid (laughs) or it's their, you know, like they might have two or three trimmers on their station. And this is this is my hitter. Like this one right here is the, you know, this is the big homie or this is the little homie. Like they (laughs) they give them names, you know, like identities. So I feel like it's part of the culture, I think, like, you know, you got to clipper for this you got a trimmer for that like I, I got multiple liners and trimmers on my station one i only use on a face i, I the one i shave someone's head with i wouldn't even use on someone's lip right. or their face you know so having different ones for different things and i think you know i think people who don't barber they might look at a barber station like wow i got something is it a show thing like why like no this one is for my lines yeah this one is for like my, <laughs> my edge ups this one is for kids it's not super sharp Connecting with your tools and giving them names. Yeah. And, yeah. I think that's part of, I don't know, do, how, how do you guys do that? I don't know. I don't know if I've given things names. I mean, I certainly build relationships with my wigs when I'm working with them, but um, tools, I mean, I have tools that I don't like tail combs. There's a certain type of tail comb I 
fucking hate picking up any other type of tail comb. Like I just like the tail comb brand that I like. And every time I pick up something else, you know, they're weighted differently. It just, they feel you can work with it, but you would rather not. You want to work with what you like and know. So, but I don't yeah, I name barbers. my tail combs. <laughs> yeah, I think barbers, we're, we're a different group. We're, we're a little eccentric. It's it nice though, because I, you do have less to work with as well. Do you know what I mean? Like a hairdresser's kit has like a ridiculous amount of stuff. Whereas, yeah. you know, you have a certain number of items that you need and want to get the job done. So of course it's a little more personal. Yeah, I've got a pair of shears. I remember when I graduated from barber college, I was a bootleg barber for for a while. Mm. We call it, we used to call bootleg barbers, a barber working in an environment, like in a shop yeah. without a license. Right. So I bootlegged it for a while. Mm. Like when I went to go to my friend's shop and working there before I, we did left open. I didn't get my actual license until we opened up our shop together on motion. No, yeah. So, bootlegging all those all those years i feel like i don't know that I, like naming things and just being like as far because like, it's been 25 years now mm. since i've had my license mm. but when i graduated mm. i went and bought myself like my first real expensive pair of shears as a, as a graduation gift to myself yeah you know i had like the 25 dollar 30 dollar shears yeah. up until you know i went and spent like 600 dollars back then mm-hmm. for a pair of shears and I don't think any of my friends had spent that kind of money on a pair of shears or a pair of anything yeah. at that time. So when I got them, there was a movie called Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. And the name of the sword that he used to use was called the Green Destinies. <laughs> and that was the name. Even now, I got, I'm literally looking over at the shears hanging up on my wall right now. They're still hanging over yeah. there. And I used to call them the Green Destinies. And Somebody would come over to my station or try to grab like, oh no, no, don't you like, oh, don't touch his green destiny. It's like it's <laughs> funny, like naming your tools and that's awesome. I never named my shears, but I still use my very first pair, like my first proper pair of shears. They're my main scissors that I cut with now to this day. Yeah. And what one person would you like to hear on the podcast? Mm, that's a good one. That it's funny. I was I remember I was telling you a few weeks ago when we first talked about me coming on here, I was like I feel like my my career <laughs> didn't even equate to being to the level of being on on the panel with some of the people on this on your podcast. Oh, you can't like, look at it like that, Dave. This is like a mama I made it moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> um, let's see. I was see. Yeah, Dean's already been on here. Mm-hmm. Howard's been. I mean, all my idols, all my all the people I'm like that are like mentors and I'm fans of. Like, I feel like you know what, Howard. Howard's friend Johnny. I don't, Johnny would be somebody interesting. Yeah, he's, he's been man. Johnny's done a lot of stuff. He's a great. What's dude, Johnny's last name? Too. Villanueva. Villanueva. I've heard of Johnny yeah. Villanueva. Yes, but oh yeah, John, I haven't had him on the show. Howard and Johnny. Mm. Again, like I feel like when I think about this, might sound like bullshit, but I feel like I can connect everybody in my mind, mm. in my story, in my timeline. That has gotten me here, and again, Johnny and Howard—they're part of—they're part of that timeline. Like everybody, like everybody, I met them through someone else, and oh, yeah. because of that situation, I mean, that's how I met you. And yeah, I met Akiko through you guys, and through Akiko, I met Howard and Johnny. Mm-hmm. Howard and Johnny put me in position to get the final days that I needed for my unit. Like, and it's like you know, it's like a long 
family tree, I feel like that I'm connected yeah. to. Like I'm a, I'm a branch of all these family trees in the hair business and the hair industry. <laughs> you could do a Kevin Bacon, like six degrees of separation for Dee's career. <laughs> really? I mean, you know, I feel like there's so many people that like, if I could just give a thanks to or yeah. like acknowledge or just say like I've never forgotten none of those people and like I may not talk to a lot of these people mm. often or every day but when I do or when I run across them when we see each other yeah. it's like we just saw each other last week yeah. and I that, that's one of the great things I like about this business whether it was in the shop or here like I'm glad that it carries over for me yeah. into the production side of it because I think the connection and people this is what has kept me grounded and connected to it for as long as it has because I feel like there's a, there's so many people that can do great fades and they probably can cut circles around me mm. when it comes to designs or other areas of barbering but I feel like as a barber mm. a well-rounded barber as a complete barber like I you know I feel like I touch on a lot of things that gives me like a, a balanced score if that's a good way of describing it. Yeah. Because I feel like I've, I've come across some barbers that were like, wow, this guy's amazing. He can he can literally draw your face mm. in the back of his, in someone's mm. head. But he has horrible hygiene. <laughs> yeah. He's horrible with appointments. Yeah. Or he has bad, he, his conversation isn't like suitable. Yeah. Or, you know, like there's just so many other things that go into what we do whether it be in the shop or in production that you have to like the attributes you have to like kind of touch on a lot of them and not just be strong and only one or two and i think the more a person is mindful of that and you work on building equally all of your attributes mm -hmm. then you have a chance to go a little further yeah and people remember you and want to connect with you just be a good guy yeah i hope I, that's, <laughs> that's most of it because like i said you don't want to be in a trailer with somebody for eight 10, 12 hours a day yeah. and that you look down the other end of the trailer and you're like, oh my God. Wow, <laughs> well, it's nice to hear that you feel like you are surrounded by a really great community. So that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, Dee, I'm going to thank you for your time and I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you. So thanks for being on the Last Looks podcast. Well, I appreciate it. I'm so glad to have been able to do it. And this is definitely a feather in my cap. I'm <laughs> good. Can't wait to hear it all together. That's very sweet. So I can email and link everybody to it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Well, thank you. Okay, Last Looks crew, thanks for listening. And remember, if you love it, share it. A quick scroll down and you'll find our show notes. Or maybe you'd like to give your support and leave a five-star review. Go on, I know you want to. Search the Last Looks podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok, whichever one tickles your fancy. And a massive shout out to the husband, Brett Stanley. Without his patience and tech support, this whole podcast situation simply does not happen and cheers to Liliana Rose for her fabulous voice acting talents okay last looks crew that's a wrap for me I don't need to be told twice to get out of here so bye I'll catch you on the flip side Peace.